Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, August 18th, and we're going to do a little rundown on the wearable space. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and joining me on the phone to talk tech is Fool.com Senior Tech Specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on? Not too much, not too much. A little bit of a hiccup today. We were planning on Skyping you in as we normally do, but uh, ran into some issues because we lost some power at Full HQ, I guess, yesterday and having some troubles with our computer. So I hope that the quality comes through okay. Uh, a little wrinkle in having you on the phone, but happy to have you here. Happy to be here. So, Evan, we're talking wearables, and you are an Apple Watch owner, right? I am, yes. I have a, one of the first generation ones. And it's pretty underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> what do you find that you actually wind up using it for? Because I am not someone that has a wearable device because I just haven't really seen the use case for it. I use it to tell the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the number one thing. I mean, it's it's like having a little bit of extra information available is kind of useful. Like, you know, the weather or, you know, all the other kind of little things that you can have displayed in the watch face. But... It's definitely not critical or neat. like it's not something that I'm like oh wow I need that now. You have some and cool you have some cool tie-ins with what you can do with your car right because you are a Tesla owner. Right, so there's a third-party app that I can use to control my car, which is the Tesla, which is kind of cool. So I can actually use my watch to unlock my car to start keyless driving. But again, it's like it's kind of cool to novelty, but. Most of the time, I just have the key in my pocket, so it's like, <laughs> what's the point? I mean, it's you know, there's all these like kind of these fringe use cases, I think. But I mean, and for me, I'm not super active with fitness type stuff. Of course, I would like to be more active. Like everyone wants to be healthier, right? But ultimately, like most people, I don't usually get up off. <laughs> you know, I'm not as active as I ideally would like to be, and of course, that's a big push for wearables is kind of like the most obvious use case right now, but I don't think that that's been really enough to spur mainstream adoption, but I'm sure we'll get more into that later. Yeah, I, I'm certainly part of that demographic of people that are you know fairly active and, and don't see the need for it. Uh, man behind the glass subbing in for Austin Morgan today, Dan Boyd, is also someone that's pretty active, but uh, you don't have a smartwatch either, or a fitness tracker. I do not, know. And is that just because you don't see the use for it? Uh, that, and I don't wear a watch or any jewelry or any stuff like that. And uh, when I go to the gym, I record everything in a binder with paper and pen. Because while I'm maybe not that old, uh, I act the part. I like the idea of you looking kind of studious uh, with, with like a binder, like a trapper keeper and a pen. And <laughs> yeah, my, my, Lisa, notes on your lifts. my Lisa Frank <laughs> uh, binder with pink unicorns on the, it. The oh, Technicolor yeah. unicorns, yes. That is, a, that is a deep pull. Nice job with the Lisa Frank reference. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's going to be lost on a lot of listeners, but anyone that I think grew up in the maybe late 80s, 90s probably gets that one. I, I hope so. <laughs> Um, so, so I think Dan, you and I are kind of part of um, the problem for the fit, for the wearables market. Really, is that a lot of people that are active are not really engaging all that much with these devices. And to give you an idea of uh, what's going on in that space, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some data from Strategy Analytics. Um, so they had some uh, recent updates on what happened in Q2 in the wearable shipment space. Um, looks like shipments came in around 21.6 million units. Um, that is up from 20 million units a year ago. Uh, so that's 8% growth. But that is really not all that big, considering the market really isn't all that old, huh, Evan? 
Yeah, I mean, this is a market that's only been around for maybe two to three years, and to see it kind of hitting the speed bump that we've been seeing over the past year is a little disconcerting and definitely doesn't encourage investors in this space or companies that are trying to offer these products because, I mean, if you look at uh, on the Android side, Android Wear came out before Apple Watch, and, of course, naturally, uh, those devices are made by third-party manufacturers, and a lot of them are jumping, shipping, bailing, and, and or just aren't updating the products because they're not really selling well. So uh, you know, in, you know, it's a pretty stark contrast compared to the smartphone world, where Android is by far the most dominant platform, and you know they're basically just you know the OEMs are not really putting a lot of effort into the space. Yeah, and I will say that I think the quarterly results can be a little lumpy looking at this space in particular, just because um, when you have various product launches, that is going to skew the results. So I think looking on a yearly basis can be more helpful, and we'll, we'll do that once 2017 data is available. I think last year, depending on what data source you look at, uh, shipments were up about 20%. But again, not crazy growth, given how young this market is. Um, I think one of the most helpful ways to look at this, though, and the reason that I find these data releases so interesting is that it gives us a rundown of the big players in the space and who's eating up market share and who's getting a bigger pie of the wearable space. So um, we also have a rundown here of, of the top players. And number one is a name that maybe some people don't know, uh, the Chinese manufacturer Xiaomi. And according to Strategy Analytics, they clocked in at 17% of unit shipments for Q2, followed by Fitbit at just under 16% and Apple at 13%. Um, they kind of lump everything else in the category into other, and that, that winds up being about 55% of the market. Um, I think some people, some fools in particular, that have been following Fitbit for some time are a little concerned to see them fall to the number two spot. Yeah, Fitbit has been having a really tough time. I mean, they, they've long really banked entirely on the U.S. market for, and you know, pretty much always been historically fitness trackers, right? They don't have a smartwatch yet. They, they're planning to do one later this year. Expect it to be, their guidance suggests that it's not going to be released until Q4. But yeah, so like for example, Fitness, Fitbit, U.S. revenue fell 55% last quarter in the U.S. And that's a huge drop. And that's like the, their biggest market. So that's why their the total revenue is down something like 40%. So they're, they're, they're still very heavily concentrated in the U.S. market. And I think that in the U.S. at least, we're seeing kind of people shift away from single-purpose fitness trackers, and they're they're kind of wanting to you know the people that do want are are, are open to having some type of wearable device are more likely to get a, like a multi-purpose device like a smartwatch. Whereas the, the kind of interesting dynamic here is what we're seeing from Xiaomi is that like in China they're doing quite well with and they're also only doing fitness trackers, but obviously China's a huge market, it's much bigger just kind of in absolute terms. So. And I mean, the numbers that we're talking about here, just a few million units, just is like a drop in the bucket in the, in the grand scheme of the Chinese market. So Xiaomi is definitely making progress, kind of heading in the right tra- right direction, at least, whereas Fitbit is not. And it's an interesting dynamic because they're both basically just doing fitness trackers, but in essentially different markets. And And those numbers from Xiaomi are a little loaded because um, they do bundle those fitness trackers with some smartphone sales. So those are not necessarily units that are shipped for people explicitly buying just fitness trackers the way someone would buy, would buy like a charge uh, HR um, from Fitbit or an Apple Watch or something like that. So some of those are bundled sales. But, but I think your point remains. And you know if you want to look at something that's kind of troubling on Fitbit side, 
Q2 2016, they had roughly 29% of the market, according to Strategy Analytics. Um, that was 5.7 million units. And, and you look now, this most recent Q2, 3.4 million units. Um, you know, there, there are two that's ways. Down that, 40%. That's down 40%. You, you know, that's a <laughs> pretty big hit. <laughs> yeah, the, the issue with them, you know, you can lose market share because the pie gets bigger and you maintain your hold of it, you know, the, whatever your absolute number is. But the problem is um, they lost market share because the pie got bigger and they, they wound up selling less units. So, kind of both numbers there were working against them. Um, I, I think that a lot of people are really hoping with this company, uh, you know, the people that have been bulls for quite some time, that what we see later this year with their smartwatch release uh, might help kind of turn the tides. And I think a, a big part of it is just, you know, kind of what I touched on earlier is just the whole engagement piece with, you know, everyone wants to be more fit and healthier, but at the end, just like at, at every New Year's, people, you know, gym memberships spike and then they kind of drop off in February, right? And, and everyone wants to, but ultimately isn't really as committed to it as they would like to be. And you can see this player in their numbers. I mean, Fitbit, they only disclose their user-based numbers once a year in their 10Ks. So this isn't something that they disclose quarterly, which would be helpful so you can see the more granular trends. But for example, at the end of 2016, they had 50 million registered users, but only 23 million of those were active. So only half of their user base is, less than half is active. So it just kind of you know d- data that supports the notion that a lot of people buy these things, use them maybe for a month or two, and then just kind of abandon them, and they end up collecting dust in a drawer, which obviously doesn't help your business if your business is built on hardware sales. And recur- ideally, you want to get recurring sales with upgrades and things like that. And no one upgrades a device that they don't use, obviously. <laughs> uh, especially as they're trying to become more of a platform company, right? They, they're trying to do more than just do hardware. Um, they're obviously trying to get more involved on in the software side because uh, businesses can become much more scalable, much more high margin that way. Um, but uh, if you have trouble maintaining an active user base, those efforts are largely going to kind of flounder. Right, they had these. You know, the, they bought Fitstar a few years back, which has those you know subscription-based fitness courses and online stuff. And you know, they've been trying to grow that, and it's it, it's still basically immaterial in terms of revenue on at all. Like it's almost it's like a rounding error still. So I know that yeah, they're they're definitely trying to to grow out kind of subscription-based services, but really having a hard time there and you know on the other on the other side of it is on the smartwatch that, that's coming out they do want to turn that into more of an app platform they're, they're not really calling an app store quite yet but you know they did buy pebble specifically to be able to support third-party applications with this new product that's coming out and you know i think it basically i think the understanding is that right now there will be a handful of third-party apps available at launch and what they're calling like it's a gallery not a store but whatever you want to call it it's just going to be a handful of third-party apps, and presumably they'll, they'll kind of expand from there. Uh, you can also expect that maybe there'll be some payment-type features since they bought Coin for their NFC payment technology, uh, which would just compete with Apple since Apple already has NFC payments on its watch. So that, you know they definitely want to kind of move up market into that smart, full-featured smartwatch territory, but I think it's that's a lot. It's going to be a pretty tall order to fill considering who they're up against. And they've been billing this upcoming product release, this smartwatch release, as something that kind of consumers haven't seen before. And frankly, I'm a little bit skeptical that they can deliver something like that when you consider who they're competing against. 
Yeah, they're like, no one's ever seen this stuff in a smart watch. And it's like, actually, everyone, this is what everyone is doing. <laughs> they're like, oh, no one's done fitness first. It's like, actually, that's exactly what companies do. <laughs> so it is a little weird. And I think, I mean, they do have a lot riding on this thing because I think investors are very wary of, you know, they're very cognizant of, of the shifting kind of landscape that people are, are, are transitioning to. Not only is like overall wearable adoption still pretty low, but the people that are willing to adopt it are, are shifting towards smartwatches. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's going to be a tough tough battle for them because I, I, I'm not really I don't have a lot of confidence. And plus, if you, if you actually look at the the leaked renderings of this smartwatch that's coming out, it, it does not look very good. <laughs> like it's purely aesthetic. I know that's a personal preference, but in my opinion, it does not look good. If it's something that they're able to pull off, though, that would give them entrance to what is, I think, roughly like a $10 billion smartwatch category. So so I can understand why there's a lot of enthusiasm behind it. Um, but I do worry, you know, I worry about them being able to kind of outclass Apple in this space in, in just the design and kind of consumer perception side of things. And then I worry about them being able to build out what is really seen as a valuable, uh, whatever you call it, app uh, inventory or kind of developer-based uh, offering for users. Because you think about the installed base that Apple has and, and the kind of the cross-compatibility with um, their watch offering and some of the stuff with the iPhone or some of the other devices, uh, that's a lot more compelling if you're a developer and you have limited resources than going over to kind of more of a niche ecosystem with Fitbit. Exactly. I think I think it's really just going to, at this point, boil down to execution because Fitbit's in the kind of a tough spot because they don't really have much of a choice. You know, I mean, they they got big on these fitness trackers, but then as soon as the market started to shift, they don't really have much of a choice but to kind of try to shift with it. But their ability to do so is, I mean, they're a small company and they don't have a ton of resources, and they're going up against, I mean, Xiaomi and Apple. I mean, more, you know, more Apple probably since you know, Apple's more in the U.S. and I mean, how do you compete with a company that, you know, in a single quarter, Apple's net income is like six times the size of Fitbit's entire market cap? I mean, it's just hard to hard to keep up when they have a, such a wide developer base. I mean, so yeah, I think it's going to come down to execution. I don't think they have much of a choice but to but to make this move. So yeah, I, I understand where they're coming from, but I also don't think they have a very good shot at it. And to turn things to Apple uh, for a second, you know, you look at where they stand in you know market share for wearables as of the most recent quarter. They're in third place, and that's by shipment volumes. But if you think about this market by dollar value, without question, they are the number one player because they have the premium pricing, and I think that's what makes this market so appealing to Fitbit. Right, that, that's absolutely true too. Because you know, right now Fitbit's average selling prices are right around a hundred bucks. Uh, I I believe Apple's. Apple Watch ASPs are probably in the neighborhood of five hundred dollars, but you know <clears throat> it's anyone's guess because they don't disclose any real numbers for this thing. Uh, I mean, they did say that it was, sales were up fifty percent last quarter, and if you look at strategy analytics numbers that we were talking about a minute ago, they estimated units at two point eight million, which would be up fifty five percent, which kind of goes in line with Apple's kind of vague commentary. Um, yeah, I mean, Apple Watch, I think, it, 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 I mean. Even Apple's having a trouble getting, like, the mainstream consumer to adopt it, and Apple's been focusing very heavily on fitness. So if even Apple is kind of having a hard time catalyzing adoption, why would Fitbit do a better job? Yeah, <laughs> like, I think no, I think that that's a great point. And you think about the amount of resources that they have available, and it's just kind of baffling. Um, I earlier kind of touched on the idea that 
there is some lumpiness with um, unit shipments just because of the release calendar for products. Fitbit has something likely coming out at the end of Q3, Q4. Uh, Apple also will probably have something coming out later this year, right? Right. So the, all the rumors suggest that Apple Watch Series 3, which presumably is what it'll be called, uh, it will probably have the more or less the same form factor that they've been using. Maybe it's slightly modified. I know that battery life is a big concern. So, you know, if you want to put a bigger battery in, it kind of makes the device a little bit bigger. Um, they might add LTE connectivity, which is kind of questionable because it's not like that's not the killer thing that people have been clamoring for. It's not like, oh, if only my watch had its own cell connection. <laughs> I mean, cause then there's a question of how, do you got to pay for another data plan? Can you piggyback on your existing data plan? You know, because no one's going to want to pay another $10 a month on top for cell connect, cell data plan on the watch that they don't really use that often. It's just, it's really hard to justify. And it's hard to see that being some feature that, that really does it. Because, you know, in my opinion, I, I still don't think that smartwatches as a category have a killer mainstream appeal you know because i don't consider the fitness stuff like enough for the mainstream you know again everyone wants to but ultimately people aren't as committed to it so i think that the whole industry is still trying to find like what is the one use case that's going to kind of unlock mainstream adoption i don't think it's fitness i don't think it's having an LTE connection. I don't know what it is, obviously, and I'm, and I'm not nearly as clever as Apple <laughs> was trying to think about this stuff. But that's, I think that's the open problem that the entire kind of wearables market is, is running into right now. Well, and you, we were joking about this, I guess, really in the beginning of the show. But you know, even just talking, you, me, and Dan, like that's that's the reality is that you are the only one of the three of us that owns one, and you don't really see a huge value prop there. Uh, I will put it to our industry-focused listeners. I would love to hear about your experience using wearable devices, uh, especially if you have something that we haven't hit on uh, that you regularly use it for. Um, if you, you know, are someone that is a hardcore fitness person and finds a huge use case for them, shoot us a note at industryfocus@fool.com. I would love to get some of your perspectives on that. Um, Evan, just circling back quickly to what we were talking about with the Apple Watch, I see another challenge here in looking at the calendar because uh, you know Fitbit is building up this great smartwatch offering, but you know, if that coincides with when the update to the Apple Watch is coming, I think consumers are going to have a tough choice, and it's not a no-brainer to go with whatever Fitbit offers. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is kind of a the, the, there's also a perception problem because you know, when you buy modern tech gadgets, you expect kind of a, you have you have high expectations in terms of ongoing support, ongoing content updates, new apps, new you know all this stuff that these kind of bigger platforms have over time, and that's a yeah, that's a much longer-term game because you know Fitbit is start, starting and they're going to jump in, but how well are they going to be able to, you know, like we touched on before, attract developers to the platform, which is a much smaller install base compared to Apple? How are how well are they going to, you know, be able to push ongoing updates and new features? Like this isn't just about getting it out there; it's about getting it out there and staying competitive over time and sustaining that kind of position. And and that's arguably much harder over time than just kind of getting it out there in, in the first place. And we know that Apple can obviously do that. I mean, Apple Watch is a pretty small business for them, so they're kind of they have that luxury of you know they're not a pure play, right? Obviously, the iPhone is the big thing, and Apple Watch is like this footnote, whereas Fitbit is all about wearables. So if the whole category is suffering, it's going to hurt Fitbit a lot more, and it's going to hurt Apple. 
Yeah, and <laughs> it may not come as a surprise to listeners to hear that you know I am not the biggest Fitbit bull. Uh, I personally don't really love the idea of owning a pure play consumer tech wearables company. Um, you know, consumer tech hardware in general is just a very tough business to be in. You see that with GoPro too. Um, you know, Apple for them that this is a segment that you know produces some money, but it, but it's almost inconsequential when you look at their larger business. Um, I think Evan, you're kind of the same way with Fitbit, right? Right. I mean, the only thing I'll say about Fitbit is that, like, I think that they have, specifically just as far as the stock goes, they're, they've gotten so cheap that if they can pull off this, this smartwatch launch and, and kind of keep, you know, maintain relevance in that way, I think there is some possible upside because just, just because the shares are so cheap, I mean, they're down to like $5. And I mean, it, it's just really cheap right now. And I mean, I don't think I'm not super optimistic about smartwatch, but I think there's a lot of pessimism, and you know the expectations are pretty low, and the expectations being priced in right now are pretty low. So I think that there is a chance that they could, you know, if they they could really come out and you know build a turnaround based on the smartwatch, in which case you know there there could be upside just just by virtue of how cheap the stock has become. I mean I'm not purely fundamental. I'm not. I don't think they have a great shot, but. You know, when things are so pessimistic out there, you know, you can sometimes find opportunities. And that's what'll happen when you have basically three straight quarters of sales declines, right? Uh, the market is going to turn. But uh, you know, I think they are currently trading at just over uh, one. Oh no, under one time sales. So yeah, they're point point seven times sales. <laughs> like <laughs> it's so cheap, right? And that's the thing. Is, you know, when it's so cheap, it doesn't take a whole lot to kind of get a nice bump out of it if, if the stock's bottoming out. So it, it's going to be a really next, you know, probably two to three quarters is going to be pretty pivotal, I think, in the Fitbit story. Yeah. And frankly, even with that cheap argument that we just had, um, I think that long term, I don't love what's going on with the industry. Unless, unless um, developers and people on the hardware side are able to kind of break out of this more niche category, uh, so that more people kind of mainstream are interested, you know, I still don't love the five or ten year prospects for a company like Fitbit. Um, you know, so even if short term there's something that might meaningfully boost sales and you know the share price to follow, uh, I, I think that this category is not going to be a huge growth one. Uh, if you think if you're thinking about things over the course of a decade, I definitely think that's true, especially if you compare it to kind of the expectations of what we all had three to four years ago, you know, there's all this hype around, oh, wearables are going to be the next big thing. Apple's jumping in. They're going to, you know, get everyone to use this with their watch. And it just hasn't played out to those kind of initially lofty expectations. So, and I think, you know, there's probably some recalibration in terms of what people are expecting from this market. So, I think that's a good thing. It's healthy, probably, ultimately. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of covers it for wearables. Uh, once we get the full year data, like I said, it's it's kind of easier to get an at a glance and control for any of the product release side issues that come with quarter to quarter looks. We will definitely do an update then. Uh, anything else before I let you go today, Evan? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions for me or Evan, uh, just shoot us an email at industryfocus at pool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for subbing in behind the glass today. 
For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and cool on.